Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, so glad that you made it to Gospel City Church today. I want to welcome you here. And uh, if you are a guest with us, uh, please make sure you stop by the meet and greet. My name is Micah Klutnaudi. Uh, one of the pastors here, and we'd love to get a gift in your hand or answer any questions that you might have afterwards. We always ask that everyone in the building go to mygospelcity.org slash Sunday and let us know that you're with us. Let us know what you're praising God for or how we can pray for you. You can also give of your tithes and offering on that page. Lots going on. Everybody, how y'all doing coming into December? You doing okay? Yeah? A couple, some excited people. Anybody like just kind of overwhelmed, frantic, uh, stressed out, anything going on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of that going on. I'm sure everybody's calendar is full and you have things in your life. And uh, if, if you're anything like my family, it's just the hustle and bustle of things. It feels like the train is moving and you just got to keep up sometimes. And so uh, thank God that he instituted the first day of the week where we gather and where we worship and where we get our eyes on what really matters. Amen. And uh, that's what this is all about. And so uh, there's things coming up again in our church, you know, in January, this is kind of the lull where we're getting with family and friends and all of that. When January comes back around, our, our studies and our classes will begin uh, January 10th is the Wednesday. So men and women will gather again to, to begin Exodus, the second half of it. I would love to double the amount of men at 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. I know it's early, but I want you to be there. And so if you think about committing to that next uh, January, uh, on January 10th, come and women, you do so as well. Uh, and then lots of other things, our, our core um, doctrine will be kicking off. And so all of those things are moving. Before we jump into the message uh, today, just wanted to make you aware, uh, it was on my heart and it happened yesterday. So here's a picture on the screen of our friend Chuck Ostrom. And he went home to be with Jesus uh, yesterday morning or late on Friday night. And I don't know if he's a familiar face to you, but uh, I've shook his hand many of times coming into this church. And he was a great usher and a greeter and his wife, Cheryl, Uh, is doing good and she is thankful in the Lord. But I got the privilege last week to go over there and we shared in communion together and it was just a sweet time uh, worshiping the Lord. Uh, Chuck couldn't really remember what he told me two seconds ago, but he could remember his testimony in Jesus Christ and he could tell that with great clarity. And and when I left, he stood up to walk me out and uh, I said to him, hey, on these days as you're waiting on the Lord, Make sure you're reading your Bible. Make sure you're thinking on the Lord. Make sure you're praying. He said, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. Because Chuck knew where he was going. And uh, he was a man's man. And so can I just pray for Cheryl and for um, her family? And, uh, and then we'll dive into the word together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Chuck. And uh, I really liked him. And I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for his... Uh, his faith in you and uh, the way that he told his testimony and story of how he didn't want to surrender and he wanted to be the man. But he found out that in order to be the man, you got to die to yourself and follow the one true God. I thank you for his testimony of you and your faithfulness, picking him up by the coat collar and telling him to die to himself and follow Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that today he is rejoicing in glory and that he's home in heaven, the place that we're all waiting. But Lord, it's hard to lose 
It's hard to lose people on this earth. So I pray for Cheryl. I thank you for her faith in the Lord. I pray for all of their children. And Lord, I just pray that they would uh, remain faithful to you and encouraged by the church. Thank you for small group leaders and elders who have gathered around them so well. And um, Lord, just uh, for anyone in our church who's experiencing loss, Lord, would you just point our attention heavenward? It can be easy to get self-focused and and inward and, and get grumpy even in the midst of loss. But Lord, help us to keep our eyes above the hills where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that death is not the end, but it's only the beginning to an eternal life in Jesus Christ for all who repent and believe. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. And we're going to continue where we left off last week at the end of chapter 8. And we will continue through 9, verse 17. But as you're turning there, uh, how many of you have you ever made a promise that you didn't keep? Anyone? I, I, I know I have. I'm sure you have. Uh, even on the earliest days of being on the playground at school, we learned to recite the words, right? I cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. And then you have to pinky promise with your friend because you know that we are prone to breaking promises. Or, or maybe you found yourself in a situation where you've experienced a breach of contract, somebody not upholding their end of the deal. And you know what a pain that is and what a hoop that is to jump through. I was thinking even at the earliest of ages growing up, my parents would recite to me regularly, me and my siblings, Jesus's words, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't say you're going to do something and not follow through with it. And, and some of us in the room, we've experienced the pain of promises that are meant to be lifelong, but have been broken due to sin and circumstances that we didn't foresee. I think about marriages that have been broken by divorce. This is not the plan, right? Whenever we step into marriage, when we step into the altar and the covenant of marriage, and when we say, I do, we don't see divorce coming down the line very often. And many have even said, if I knew divorce was in my future, I would have thought, been more slow to enter into the marriage. And of course, we've seen God's design for marriage, that it's meant to be a lifelong covenant, a holy covenant initiated by God for a lifetime for his glory. Now, God's design for the covenant of marriage is that it would never be broken, but when sinners make promises, often those promises become unfulfilled. And at the core of broken promises, your small promises and your big promises, is the sin of unfaithfulness. And we don't have to look very far to see that we are an unfaithful people. Now we're a covenant-making people, but we serve a covenant-making God. And the difference between God and you is that God never breaks his promises. God never breaks the covenants that he makes. He is always good on his word. And those in covenant with him have hope that is rooted in assurance because what he promised will come to pass. So I want to lean into the covenants because this is kind of the first covenant that we see in scripture. And uh, the big idea that we'll look at today is this, at the core of God's covenant is his saving grace. Therefore, we have hope. At the core 
of God's covenant is his saving grace. Therefore, we have hope. Why don't you get your eyes on Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, and let's read through 917, okay? Hear the word of the Lord. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all of the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its flesh, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning from the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Verse eight. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow in the clouds, uh, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, as we begin this morning and start to pull apart Chapter, the end of chapter eight into chapter nine, I think it's important that we focus on, on a covenant for a moment, okay? Let me give you a little. If you've been in core scripture, you've been talking about the different covenants through the Bible. But a covenant in the Bible represents God's desire to enter into relationship with sinful mankind who have been created in his image. A covenant is an agreement between two parties that is rooted in a perpetual promise and often sealed with a sign. Now, God's covenants are unconditional covenants. And the reason that they can be is because he upholds both ends of the agreement. God is upholding his own end of the agreement and your end of the agreement. So God enters into covenant with sinners, but trumps the sinners breaking of the covenant 
and promises to keep the covenant regardless of the sinner's actions. Pretty sweet deal, amen? Not only that, but the covenant isn't dependent upon man's faithful morality at all. It's secure in a faithful God. So God has made some big covenants throughout scripture and they're really the backbone of the Bible, the backbone of the storyline of scripture. Michael Horton said this about covenants. It is not simply the concept of the covenant, but the concrete existence of God's covenantal dealings in our history that provide the context within which we recognize the unity of scripture amid its remarkable variety. So what he means is by understanding that an eternal God has made unconditional covenants with sinful mankind, we will more clearly understand the thread of scripture that culminates and crescendos in the person of Jesus Christ. Because God is a covenant-making God, we can celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas because he's good on his word. Because God is a covenant-keeping God, we can celebrate that there is hope today. And I think it's pretty cool that today we would light the first Advent candle, which represents hope. And at the core of God's covenant is a hope rooted in assurance for all who are believers. Now, God, he made some big covenants throughout scripture. Probably the most familiar one is the Abrahamic covenant. You see that in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and 22. The covenant at Sinai was the giving of the law. We see that in Exodus. Uh, the, the covenant with David was a covenant in 2 Samuel 7 that said, from David would come a king whose throne would be established forever. From the Davidic line would come a savior whose throne would be established forever. And then we get to the new covenant that Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel prophesied of. The new covenant was that God will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those who turn to him. And ultimately the new covenant is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Now today we're looking at the Noahic covenant. And as we approach God's covenant with Noah, it's really the first mention of the word covenant, but it points us back to the beginning of creation, a covenant that God initiated when he created Adam and Eve in the perfect garden. And he had a promise with his creation that his glory would be made known on the face of planet earth through those created in the image of God. The Noahic covenant that we're looking at today, it's a restart to the promise that God made at the beginning of creation that the whole earth would be filled with his glory and that glory would spread across planet earth through human beings created in his image. So we talked about the Imago Dei when we were in Genesis chapter one, that every human being has intrinsic worth and value and has the ability to reflect the glory of God on the earth. So a beautiful thing as we get to this side of the flood and God reinitiates this covenant with Noah, we don't see God devise a new strategy for making his glory known on the earth. We don't see God taking the intrinsic worth and value that he stamped in each and every human being as he created them in his image. In his grace, God reestablishes with Noah the same plan that he gave to Adam. And you just have to think about what a far cry that is from a couple chapters earlier when God saw that all of man was only evil continually and did what was right in their own eyes. 
The wrath of God had come through the flood and now his grace was about to come down. Generations were wiped away, but God's plan for generations experiencing his glory remained. And though sin had marred mankind, and though Noah would prove to be imperfect just like Adam, God's covenant with Noah meant God was still committed to his promise from Genesis 3, verse 15. Do you remember what the first gospel said? It said, I will put enmity between you, that was the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God's covenant with Noah meant that the seed of Satan would still be crushed and redemption for sin would still come through those whom God preserves. So the flood is over. Noah and his family and every living creature have exited the ark. And then we get to chapter eight, verse 20. And the first point that I wanna draw out of this is this. We see a mercy rekindled, a mercy rekindled. What would have been the first thing that you would do when you got off of that boat. I was thinking about that this week. I'm sure they were just stir crazy. They didn't have friends to go and see. Uh, They didn't have a house to go back to. I certainly would have been like, I gotta get off this mountain. Like I wanna get on some flat ground. I don't know what you would have wanted to do after that. Probably go establish a new life, find a place for your family to live, figure out how you're going to feed your family, find shelter and, and place from rain because now you're terrified of rain (laughs) and just but look at the profound wisdom that we see in Noah who was a righteous man who was a blameless man in all of his ways and who walked with God verse 20 then right then they get off the boat then Noah built an altar to the Lord Yahweh and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar May we be this quick to offer worship to God in every life experience that we have. You getting out of bed this morning is reason for you to worship God. You getting to come freely to the house of the Lord is a reason for you to lift your voice and lift your eyes and proclaim the glory of Christ. You making it through a hard season or a hard trial is a reason to fall on your knees and praise the God who heard your cries for mercy. So like Noah, our worship is seen in our response to what God has done. And our pride is seen whenever we take the credit for what has happened in our lives. Uh, Our arrogance is seen when entitlement raises its head and we start to proclaim what we've done to get out of a situation or what we've done to accumulate worth on the earth. Worship has to be our highest aim. Worship must be our greatest goal that we would ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. You know, we have an opportunity to do that tonight, to come and worship at Gospel City. There's a worship night at 7 p.m. And I think that your calendar is probably very full in December and there's probably lots of things going on and there's probably lots of reasons not to come. 
But man, what an awesome opportunity to come to a place that has prepared worship so that we could lift our eyes above the noise, so that we could set our attention on Jesus Christ. Come and worship. Noah probably had so many other things that he could have ran and, and put his hand to, and yet he didn't want to move forward without worshiping his father who was in heaven. Now, something beautiful that I've reflected on in these few verses is that Noah's offerings and worship got God's attention. As God responds to Noah's worship, we see the mercy of God rekindled after his wrath had been poured out on the earth. It doesn't mean that God was any less merciful or that God had lost his mercy. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But look at the text. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. It's a beautiful picture of, of praises, man's praises going up and grace about to come down. It's a beautiful picture of what pure, wholehearted worship does to our God. You ever think about that? He wants your worship because he created you in his image to worship him. Our worship actually moves the heart of God whenever we come to him with pure hearts and clean hands. He hears and he internalizes and he moves. He is a personal God. It made me think about Exodus. In Exodus, I think 30 through 32 there's a portion where God is angry and he's like, I'm gonna wipe out Israel. I'm so mad. And when you read it, you kind of are like, God seems pretty angry there. And that's a hard passage because how can God get that angry and that hateful toward mankind? But Noah pray, or, or Moses prays to God and, and Moses begs God on behalf of his people and God's heart turns and God has compassion on his people. Do you understand that when you offer Worship and prayers that are pure and holy to the Lord. He, he's listening and he's waiting and he's jealous for it. And then he internalizes it in his heart and he moves on your behalf. He enthrones himself on the praise of his people. I love how it says, the Lord said in his heart. The Lord recounted his plan for humanity, his love for humanity, and he purposed to preserve and not destroy as he experienced Noah's face fully turned toward him after the world was only evil continually. So the application for you and I this morning is simple. Don't neglect to worship the Lord. Don't neglect to bring an offering that comes from your heart, that comes from your soul, that comes from your whole person caught up in the engagement of loving the Lord. Let it be your first response to everything you experience. Obey him before the trial like Noah. Wait on him in the storm like Noah and worship him as he brings you through, knowing that he is patiently waiting for your unadulterated adoration. It's such an amazing picture of what our worship can do in the throne room of God, even here on this earth. It shows us the unity that we have through Jesus Christ that God desires to hear your prayers, that God desires to hear your worship. 
And so the invitation is yours. Come and worship the Lord. Come and worship at his feet. Come and bow down before the God of creation. Now the second thing we see in the text is a blessing restored. We saw a mercy rekindled. We see a blessing restored. Look at verses one through seven. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all of the fish of the sea into your hand, they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Let's stop there. Now, we see lots of parallels to Adam in the garden as Noah has now exited the ark and God is giving him his plan. As God begins to restore his creation, Noah is depicted as sort of a, a new Adam in scripture. Now, I said that phrase last week and, and a friend texted and said, gotta know, what is a new Adam? <laughs> and, and that's a great question. So let me read you my text reply uh, that I gave between services last week. It was this, well... Jesus is the new and better Adam, but Noah was like a new Adam in that he was commissioned to do what Adam was in the garden. Adam failed. We will see Noah fail. David failed. And every Adam failed until Jesus came and did what every Adam could not do. Adam was created to be perfect, but was a sinner. Noah was called to be holy, but ended up drunk and naked one chapter later. Jesus was the only human to be perfect and keep the law like Adam was created to do. Therefore, new Adam refers to a new start, a restart. But with Jesus, there's no need for another Adam because all things begin and end with him. So as, as much as Adam was a proper name for the first male in the garden, remember in Hebrew, it was Adam and it, it means male, even female. It's speaking of humanity on the earth. And the Bible is really a story about Adam and, and Jesus. The Bible is depicting two types of ways. You are either dead in Adam or you are alive in Jesus. So you descending, this is why all of us descend from Adam because we are sinful and wicked at our core just by coming into this earth. You descending from Adam is the truth that you cannot keep the law, therefore you deserve to die and be punished in hell, okay? But you repenting and believing on Jesus is the recognition that only in Christ can your sins be forgiven and your purpose for breathing be restored. Do you realize that when the gospel saves you, the purpose for you breathing on this earth can be restored. You imaging and reflecting the glory of God across a planet that is only evil continually. So I want you to look at, at the blessings being restored and look at the parallels between Noah and Adam, okay? You look at your Bibles in nine verse one and I'll, I'll reference Genesis chapter one as I give you the parallels, okay? Look at verse one. It said, and God blessed Noah now in Genesis 1:28, whenever God created Adam and Eve in his image, the first thing God did, it said, and God blessed them. So remember, we said it is amazing that the first words that God spoke at the beginning of creation was blessing over humanity. He saw that everything else was good, but he blessed you. That's an amazing truth. God speaking blessing over humans. Now, verse one goes on, nine verse one, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 1:28. God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Verse two, 
of chapter 9. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. Now, Genesis 1.28 told Adam to have dominion over every living thing. So same concept, little different. Because I don't think before the fall and before death, the animals were as scared of human beings as they are now. (laughs) But now there's some fear and there's some dread as death has come into the world and as man is now dominion and things are the same, but they're marred a little bit. Verse three, every moving thing that moves shall be food for you. Genesis 1:29. behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree that is that with the seed is its fruit. You shall have them for food. So God's providing for all their needs before the fall, before death, they were eating plants and vegetation after the fall and after death. There's dead animals, and they're allowed to eat those dead animals for food. So we've gotten that into our diet. Verse 6, for God made man in his own image. Now, there's this section in verse 4, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood, and for your life blood, I will require a reckoning from every beast, I will require it, and from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. So God didn't want them burning animals alive. Uh, when, when an animal was dead and the life had left the animal and blood was no longer flowing through the animal, its soul had left or, or whatever, that animal was now able to eat. But you're not killing live things. We're not having dominion that kind of way. But what is dead can be used for food. But verse 6, we're zeroing in on God says, For God made man in his own image. And that's exactly what it said in Genesis 1.27. So God created male and female in his own image. Verse 7 of chapter 9, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And this is the same command God gave Adam and Eve. And at the heart of their procreation was the earth being filled with the glory of God as image bearers spread across the earth. So God's glory is on display and not compromised in the least through the account of Noah and the flood. See, unbelievers would look at Noah and the flood and say, what, why would you follow a God that would wipe out the world, that would wipe everything out? But God's glory was not tainted in the least, all right? Man created in the image of God carries with them the glory of God through Noah and his family. The flood of God's wrath testifies of the glory of God that triumphs over sin and evil. God's glory was on display even in his wrath towards sin, The deliverance of Noah and his family shouts that the glory of God is seen through undeserved salvation and the restoring of blessing to Noah as a new Adam declares the glory that God does not abandon his blessing or his plan for redemption. Unbelievers, they will scoff at the horror story of a worldwide flood, but with the spirit, we see God's grace all over this as his glory is unrivaled, unstained, and uncontested by the wicked, but preserved in the righteous. So what's the application with God restoring creation in Noah, the new Adam for a time from that line would come Jesus Christ. God is in the business of restoration. He is a faithful God and He is abounding in steadfast love. His plan for you since the beginning of creation has not changed. Image God on the earth. Human being that still has breath in your lungs, 
reflect the glory of God. He loves humanity enough to get his glory out through you, to still get his glory out through you. He didn't change the plan. Perhaps you remember from when we were going through the Imago Day, and I held up a mirror and I said that you can actually start a fire with a mirror if it's pointed at the sun. I told you that a mirror reflects the sun to start a fire, so your life should reflect the glory of God and make disciples. Only a human who is turned toward God will reflect the image of God. And when we turn toward God, we see ourselves as sinful, but the spirit draws us to repentance and in repentance, we find life and restoration. And it's only possible because we have seen God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ. God preserved humanity until Jesus came and God is still preserving you so that you can experience his blessings restored. And to be restored by the gospel is to repent and believe and enter by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Here's a quote by Brandon Smith. I got this from John O'Spear this week from a book that he has. Sums it up great. Whereas the wooden ark acted as an instrument of redemption for Noah's physical life, a Roman wooden cross served as the means of delivering us. Just as Noah obeyed God by climbing onto a boat to save a few, Jesus obeyed his father by climbing onto a cross to save many. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the perfect Adam who came and lived a perfect life and then climbed onto a Roman tool of execution so that you could experience life instead of death. That leads to the third observation from the text and we see a covenant remembered. A covenant remembered. Look at verse eight. Then God said to Noah, And to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for the future of generations. I've set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign to of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Now, as we discussed, this is the giving of the Noahic covenant, God promising to never destroy planet earth again in his wrath through the flood waters. Now, a few important things about this covenant that he gives. The first, it's an unconditional covenant. God is upholding both ends of this promise, and he will be good on his word. 2 Timothy 2.13 proclaims that if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for God cannot deny himself. Isn't that awesome? When we are faithless, which is the core sin 
of broken promises. When we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. The covenant does not depend on Noah or his descendants to do anything. The covenant is built on God's faithfulness. Now second, it was made to Noah and all his descendants and to even all of the creatures that were with him, really to creation. So so really the reason that the Psalms can proclaim the heavens declare the glory of God or the trees clap their hands in the forest or the sea roars and all that fills it. The reason that the Psalms proclaim this is because God has preserved our planet and humanity and still allows us to walk with him. He's been good on his word. He hasn't said, you know what? I'm done with planet earth. I'm gonna go create another humanity on Mars or on Saturn or somewhere else in the stratosphere. I am dedicated to human beings created in the image of God on planet earth and I will forbear with them and be patient because I long for all to repent and come to me. And lastly, this covenant was sealed with a sign. Most were in scripture, Moses or sorry, Abraham's covenant was sealed with the sign of circumcision. Noah's is sealed with the sign of a rainbow. I'll let you decide who got the better deal on that. But before we talk about the rainbow, can we just acknowledge that God did not promise the world would never become evil and continually wicked again? Did you notice that? God didn't say, I'm never gonna let the world get that bad ever again as part of his covenant. The world getting to a bad place again is not found in the Noahic covenant, which means God's promise to not wipe everyone out again is not conditioned on the state of humanity. Rather, it is rooted in the grace of an ever-loving God. At the heart of God's covenant is his saving grace. Therefore, we have hope. And it'd be easy for us to just read scripture and look back and say, man, thank God that we're not living in that generation that's only evil continually. But the truth is every generation since Noah's is as wicked and sinful and evil. Every generation since the worldwide flood has proven that man will do what is right in his own eyes. Yet the earth is is full of image bearers because of his grace. And many still live in their marred estate, awaiting the message of the gospel to awaken them to truth, awaken them to life. Many will continue to reject the power of the gospel, but the truth that all these years later, the world is still full of individuals who have breath in their lungs is a testimony that God has remembered his covenant. Certainly, this generation is wicked enough for God to wipe out with a flood. Certainly, I don't have enough righteousness in my life for God to give me a personal invitation onto his ark. Certainly, none of us are so righteous that it should spare us from the wrath of God that is to come. But it was at this Noahic covenant that God promised to protect you by pouring out the full extent of his wrath and anger next on his only begotten son. And the same amount of fury that flooded the earth is the same amount of fury that poured out on Jesus as he hung on your cross. The brunt of what Jesus endured on the cross was generation after generation after generation of his father's grace toward mankind and his just wrath toward sin. Jesus took that for you. He took that for me. God preserved planet earth until that 
and he is still preserving and he is still waiting and he is still patient, wishing that all would repent as he stores up fire for his second coming and his final restoration. The Bible Project says this, in the flood account in Genesis, the wicked died and the righteous one was spared. With Jesus, the wicked were spared and the righteous one sank beneath the waters of death. Unlike Noah, Jesus did not escape the flood alive. The waters of death rose and drowned him. Noah survived the flood by taking shelter in the ark, but in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus became a shelter not just for his own family, but for all of creation. And so we come to the rainbow in the sky, which is just a beautiful picture of God's forbearance and God's patience on a wicked generation, generation after generation. When, when does the rainbow come out? After it rains, right? The rain goes away, the sun comes out and the reflection creates this beautiful rainbow in the sky. Every time you see a rainbow, you can give thanks to God that he turned off the spigot and shut the windows of heaven. Every time you see a rainbow, you can think to yourself, God is powerful enough to keep that rain coming and flood this entire planet and wipe me off the face of the planet like that. But because of that rainbow, I hold fast to a promise that was made so long ago that God will be patient with mankind and God will preserve the breath in our lungs so that we can do the job that he put us here to do, reflect the image and the glory of Christ. Some have said that the arch is like that of a recurved bow. It's a constant reminder that the warrior's bow is at rest. Cool imagery, but even more wonderful is the truth that at the heart of his covenant with Noah is his saving grace toward us. And because of this, we can have great hope today. Now, when you came in, you probably hopefully got these elements of communion. I want you to grab those and stay with me for a second. I wanna to read to you about the new covenant that came through Jesus Christ. <laughs> the preservation of the Noahic covenant led to the hope of the new covenant in Jesus. And Jesus said this in Luke twenty-two fourteen: When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until the, it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after that they had eaten saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And without the shedding of innocent blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. Jesus gave us a sign, a sign of remembrance that his body would be crucified on a cross, his blood would be shed for the forgiveness of sins, for the restoration of sinful mankind to a God of glory who created them in his image. First Peter three talks about another ordinance God gave, Jesus gave to the church. It says this in 318, 1 Peter, for Christ also suffered once for sins, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God brought saving grace to Noah and his family through water. God brought saving grace to the Israelites through the parted Red Sea. And God brings saving grace to you under the new covenant of Jesus Christ through the baptism of the Spirit of God. And in baptism, we go down under the water proclaiming the inward transformation that has happened. It doesn't remove the filth and the dirt and the sin in our lives, but it proclaims to the world that we've been transformed on the inside and we wanna proclaim it on the outside and we are raised to walk in newness of life. This is the power of the gospel. This is the storyline of the Bible leading to a perfect and new garden where he promises to come again. Here's what I want you to do. Take a moment, just bow your heads with those elements if you didn't take them yet. And, uh, and just pray. The Bible says to set your hope and affections on Jesus, to not come to the table in an unworthy manner. This is a moment to repent, confess sin, to thank the Lord for his sacrifice. If you know that you are not in Christ, this isn't a thing that you should take. This is a thing that you should set aside and you should ask God to open your heart and reveal himself to you. But the invitation is there to repent and believe and come to Christ. I'll lead you in taking those elements in just a moment. Let's just take a moment of silence to pray. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your promises. We thank you that you're good on your word. We thank you that when we are faithless, you remain faithful. Lord, like Noah, would you help us to worship you from the inside out? God, would you calm um, our hearts and help our songs to be authentic and real? Would you help our worship to be rooted in the revelation of Jesus Christ? Would you help your word to continue to form us and transform us? God, would you make us a people who are bold and who are fervent in worship and in prayer because you are a God who has restored blessing to us, who has been true to his promises, who has saved us that we might reflect and image the glory of Christ. We thank you for the church that is being built up as one body with Jesus as our head. Would you continue to unite us together? Thank you for the sign, for the, the moment of remembrance that we can have in communion that tells us that we all stand shoulder to shoulder in the kingdom of God. None of us deserve an invitation to your table, but because of Jesus, we can come. And because of Jesus, you have cleansed us from within. Lord, help us to put our praise in its rightful place today. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the power that you deserve in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, let's stand and respond in song.